The following program is presented by the National Committee on United States-China Relations, www.ncuscr.org. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight, um, this afternoon, actually. And uh, I wanted to introduce to our two interlocutors. First, we have Mark Fraser, and he is a professor of politics and co-academic director of the director of the India-China Institute at the New School. And Gaoshin is professor at Columbia at the Weatherhead Institute. She's a faculty affiliate of the Columbia Population Research Center and of the, Weather, and of the Weatherhead East Asia Institute. And she's the director of the Columbia University's China Center for Social Policy. Um, she's an academic board member of the China Institute for Income Distribution at Beijing Normal University. And before she came to Columbia, she was professor and coordinator of the international initiatives at Fordham. So welcome, Dr. Gao. Thanks for... Uh Putting this on, uh, this is a really exciting uh, day for me. Uh, I remember when um, I, I think when I first got to New York uh, uh, in 2012, um, among other things happening like hurricanes, superstorm Sandy, um, <laughs> I, I set up a meeting uh, with with Gal to have coffee because I had read so much of her work when I was publishing the, the aforementioned socialist insecurity, uh, the way she was able to measure an income inequality, and, and even then we started talking about how. Uh, and, and you came to give a talk at the India-China Institute uh, with, with Carl Riskin uh, when you were a visiting scholar there mm-hmm. in sabbatical, and we were beginning to see how China's the, the, the curve was beginning to bend. That the income inequality levels, which had been rising, you know, of course, since 1980, had begun begun to peak and even come down a little bit. And, and uh, I remember Carl that night said, "This this is a potentially hugely important." Uh, thing, and we need to understand what's causing it. And I think you and I were talking before, we, we still don't know what's causing the decline in income inequality. It may just be slower economic growth. Uh, but uh, and, and we, we, I think we've determined that the social, uh, the minimum livelihood guarantee may not be a hugely contributing factor to that reduction in income inequality, but it's certainly a contributing factor to the uh, lowering of poverty rates mm-hmm. and uh, I, I uh, was, we, we talked about the, your idea for this book manuscript, and I said, "Were well, so many people writing articles in various specialized journals uh, about Ebal, but uh, a book is a great idea." And so here we are, uh, 2017. Uh, you did very quick work. I have to congratulate <laughs> you for for, you. Uh, for for producing a book, and um, and I can't wait to hear more about it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you so much, Mark. It's uh, wonderful. I feel like we are having a reunion because uh, uh, Mark was one of the first people who I talked to when I had the idea of uh, writing this book, and he encouraged me and also shared experiences, insights about writing a book. So it's wonderful. And uh, yes, Mark hosted me as a visiting scholar at the New School, India China Institute. Uh, where I was able to uh, do some of the writing uh, and uh, putting together all the information. So thank you. Um, I also want to thank uh, the National Committee, especially the PIP program, uh, where I first presented this manuscript and got a lot of helpful comments, which I actually acknowledge in my book. So um, wonderful uh, product, uh, partly through the PIP. I'm going to talk about uh, the book, um, and uh, it's really China's experimentation with social welfare. And my book is a thorough evaluation of whether this works or not. 
So what is Bibao or uh, the Minimum Livelihood Guarantee? It's China's primary social assistance program. Uh, it's the world's largest such program right now. It covers 60 million people, um, about 45 million in rural areas and uh, 15 million in urban areas at this moment. About three years ago, there were 70 million recipients in this program. Uh, it started in Shanghai in 1993 because of the urban <coughs> economic reforms. Many companies had layoffs, and uh, these newly laid off people became the new urban poor. Uh, they couldn't um, earn a living successfully in the labor market, and the local government feared they would cause social instability. So um, Shanghai government started this program, and soon it was adopted by six other cities. And by 1999, the central government decided this program is working well and much needed. So 1999, it was implemented nationwide in urban areas. And it's not until 2007 it was implemented nationwide in, in rural areas. So how does it work? It's a very typical means-tested welfare program, as many other countries have. It targets the poor, but it's not an automatic transfer. You have to go through um, means testing. I call it uh, uh, that it involves two and a half of testing. The, one, the first test is income and assets. Uh, your income has to be below the local threshold for getting the DBAO benefit, and it's locally set and different for urban and rural areas within each locality. Some places are more um, demanding of the asset test. So in some places, you cannot have a refrigerator, you cannot have a mobile phone, uh, etc. You certainly cannot have a car uh, to qualify for this benefit. So those vary quite a bit, but the um, expectation is that you're not only income poor, you're also asset poor. You, you shouldn't be able to hold onto assets to qualify for this benefit. The second test is the household registration status test, which is HUCO test. You have to be having the local HUCO in order to benefit from this program. That excludes the rural to urban migrants um, in 2015 estimated to be 169 million who couldn't get either the urban or the rural DBAO benefits. Some localities are loosening that rule a little bit, but it's still very hard as a migrant to get the benefit. The half test, which I call, is a soft test. Uh, it's not written in the books in the localities, in the local governments, but uh, you have to follow certain behavioral expectations. For example, you cannot have a pet. If you could afford a pet, that means you are too rich to qualify for this benefit. Um, in some places, you cannot send your kids to a private school or even a public, but very uh, a school that requires you to pay them. Uh, that means you still have the extra resources. So that's a behavioral test which is not always explicitly stated, but there. Um, it's centrally regulated, which means the central government sets out the broad rules, and the local governments are in charge of setting up their local lines and implementing uh, this program. 
Um, it serves the dual function of uh, providing a last resort safety net for the poor, but also to maintain a level of social control and to uh, maintain political stability. And that is not so different from similar programs in other countries either. Um, what's probably unique about Dibao in China as compared to other welfare programs is its very stringent screening process. Um, this is the procedure every applicant has to go through. You submit the application, then the local committee, local officials would come to do a home visit to understand your income and asset situation. And then they would invite community members to participate in the appraisal of your situation. And once that's done, your names are publicly displayed so that the community members can give input um, to uh, decide whether you truly qualify or deserve this benefit or not. After that, local governments often randomly select from those who get approval uh, a small proportion to double check, to verify your qualifications and then you get approved. After that, um, every three months or six months or uh, one year, you have to do this again so that your eligibility didn't change. So here are some samples of the public display of the name lists in the communities. Um, some are more formal than others. This one actually lists the people who participate in the appraisal. So the Xiaozu. So the committee members who help make the decision, right? Yeah. Where uh, is this? Uh, these the are picture? from different localities uh, all over the country. I have many, many such pictures. <laughs> uh, and they are, they are similar. Some are more detailed. Some includes even your uh, ID number. Your phone numbers. Um, often, some would include how many people are in your family. This one shows the names of this family: uh, husband, wife, and the child who is 14 years old. Um, so it's it's a public um, effort. So is it working? Um, in terms of benefit adequacy, whether this is sufficient, uh, the benefits are kept low um, despite constant growth. So this picture shows the Dibao lines, the average national, urban, and rural Dibao lines. As you can see, it's an average of the whole country within urban and rural areas, and that's a huge, there is a huge variation. But this is the average monthly Yuan within urban and rural areas, respectively, you could see both lines are growing constantly. This picture adds onto the previous picture the red bars, which accounts for inflation. Right. So what we see here is after accounting for inflation or consumer prices, the growth continues, but the growth rate is much slower. The pace of growth is much slower. This picture shows the average Dibao lines, again within urban and rural areas separately, as a percentage of per capita consumption. And uh, the point is Dibao lines are kept very low. 
If we focus on the urban areas, by 2013, the average devout line was 20% of the average urban consumption level. The rural line is actually higher relative to the rural consumption level. It's at 33%. What about Dibao's population coverage? Rural areas has a larger population coverage or number of beneficiaries than urban areas, but both have been declining in the recent years. So this picture shows two sets of bars where are the number of beneficiaries within urban, the blue bars, and within rural areas, the red bars. And the two lines are the proportion of urban and rural populations. This is urban, this is rural, as the proportion of the urban and rural populations, respectively. Um, the urban population coverage at this point, slightly above 2%. That means 2% of the urban population, not even 2.5, are getting devout. In rural areas, above 8%. So um, the population coverage really is much bigger in rural areas. However, they have both been declining in recent years. So there is an effort to narrow Dibao's coverage in both urban and rural areas. Who are the Dibao beneficiaries? Um, this picture shows in 2000. 14, the urban and rural composition of the Dibao beneficiaries. What we notice is the majority, 62% here, almost half in rural areas, are working age adults. These are people who either cannot get a job in the labor market to support themselves to earn a living, or they have responsibilities to care for family members. So these are mostly people working age with the ability to work but cannot support themselves. Among the urban areas, we have um, only 2% who are working sta 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 steadily, about 20% who have temporary jobs. The others are unemployed, either registered or non-registered. And then we have 20% children, 16% older people, in rural areas, a lot of older people, 40% were Dibao beneficiaries because of the lack of pension support in rural areas. Um, how is Dibao's targeting? It's a targeted anti-poverty program. Are they targeting the right people? There are a lot of targeting errors, but uh, according to international comparison, Dibao is actually working better than many other countries. Can you explain that a little more? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So supposedly, if you apply for DBAO benefits, your income is judged below the local DBAO line threshold, you qualify. So you are the target. However, in reality, some people whose income is above the DBAO line get it, right? That I call mistargeting. So you're not supposed to be targeted, you're targeted. So those are the mistargeting rate. On the other hand, I should be able to get the DBAO benefit, but I didn't get it. Those are people who are leaked. I call them the leakage rate or exclusion rate, exclusion error. So these are estimates based on different data sets, national survey data sets. And we see the light bar showing the leakage rate, the people who are 
erroneously excluded as a proportion of those the, the other beneficiaries. So the leakage rate ranged between 42% and 72%, very high. And then on the other hand, there's also mistargeting rate. People who shouldn't be getting it, but actually get it. Again, ranging between 40% and 76%. So on both sides, there are a lot of errors. Um, and that's and better than a lot of countries? Yes. Wow. Yeah. These are for urban areas. For rural areas, both of these error rates are much higher. Um, but, yes? I mean, why, why is it uh, there's a big difference in between the rural and urban? Um, because rural areas? income is just hard to get. Rural, yeah, rural income is seasonal, right? You don't get a steady income every month, and that's hard for people to estimate and report, and hard for the local officials to to uh, gather the information. Um, and, yeah, and I also can uh, I can understand why some people may be mistargeted, but I I don't see why um, there are still a such a high percentage of people who are licked out of this, this mm -hmm. program. Some people don't apply. Oh. In my book, I quote one scenario where the family decided they are not going to apply for DBAO because they don't want their kid, a middle school mm -hmm. student, to be known as a DBAO recipient. Because in China, DBAO is very public. If you get it, your kid will also get some educational support in school, but that information has to be public. Right? So people, some people don't know about this program. Some people choose not to apply. Uh, some people apply, but somehow uh, the local committee or the neighbors decided they don't qualify. Right? So there is a discrepancy between our estimates, which are based on survey data, uh, and the official, uh, local officials who implement this program. Uh, people may say report different income information to these two different uh, groups. What about uh, anti-poverty effectiveness, right? DBAO is an anti-poverty program. Uh, does it work? The anti-poverty effect is modest, especially on the poverty rate. So in poverty research, we often use three measures, the poverty rate, poverty gap, and poverty severity. Poverty rate is the proportion of people who live below the poverty line, right? There are different definitions of poverty lines, but once you set a poverty line, you could estimate the poverty rate percentage. The poverty gap is how far below you fall the poverty line, right? Poverty rate could be the same, but you could be in deep poverty or shallow poverty. That's poverty gap. Poverty severity means, uh, mathematically, it's calculated by the square of the poverty gap, right? That gives more weight to those people in deep poverty, right? The more people are in deep poverty, the more severe poverty is. So this is one set of estimates. Among the DBAO recipients for this set of estimates, DBAO reduced the poverty rate by 21%. But for poverty gap, 33%. For poverty severity, 38%. So not huge reductions, but the effect is larger for poverty gap and poverty severity, which suggests that the majority of DBAO benefits do benefit those who suffer the most. 
Um, but for the general population, if we look at the broad population, the effects are very small. Um, do these people just rely on welfare? Do they move from welfare to work? Um, there are many local initiatives to help promote work. However, there's very little evidence whether they work or not. So here are some of the local welfare to work initiatives. They range from being punitive to protective, offering incentive, and being supportive. So being punitive is to say, okay, you receive the bow, you have to participate in mandatory voluntary work. Uh, you have to do it, but it's called voluntary work. Um, if you don't do it, we're going to take away your debau. When you say voluntary, is this work that's unpaid? Yes, yeah, unpaid. Well, it's except for basic, the debau. Right. It's basically for in exchange for the debau. Right. Yeah. So it's your obligation to put up some work to earn your debau benefits. But it's not regular enough to be considered a job or work. Right, yeah, if you reject, you, you may say this doesn't work for me, but if you reject two or three times, your debau is in danger. Can you give an example, what kind of work? Uh, sweeping the yard of the, uh, uh, right, uh, uh, it's, for the it's for the government entity that gave you the debau. Yes, so all these are local, all these are local, locally, Proposed and implemented. And when you say local, is it in the district or is it the whole the city as a whole? It could be either. So yeah. whatever entity gave you the job, right. that's who you work with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's one example. A DBAO recipient was asked to be a um, security guard, and the hours just don't work for his family. He quit, and then his DBAO was taken away. So there are many such, such um, situations. Um, but then there are this, I mean, local officials know this doesn't work. So there are other initiatives to help address this issue. Uh, the protective measure is to say, okay, if you earn somehow this month, you have a job, you earn 200 yen more, we are going to disregard that income so that you could still stay on Dibao uh, and keep working. So in three months, if you can keep this job, then we will discount it from your Dibao benefit. Mm -hmm. right? So it's to protect your work efforts. Then the next one is to offer incentive. Uh, similar to, to the protective measure, uh, if you find a job, we are not going to take your Dibao benefits right away we are going to gradually phase out your benefits so that you could transition to being self-reliant. And lastly, there are local job trainings, skills trainings, job referrals, so that the beneficiaries could find job opportunities and find um, to move from welfare to work. Uh, but these are all local experiments, really no, um, systematic evaluations exist. So in my book, I cited two. <coughs> One is done by me and my colleagues in Shanghai uh, about a supportive job training and referral program, limited success. Jen? So the DBAO goes to an individual. What yes. if you're a husband and wife and you both apply for the DBAO? Right, you have to both apply and you could both qualify 
uh, with an equal amount or a different amount. So one doesn't cancel. If my husband gets it, then I can still get it. You can. Up yeah. to a and certain level for the family, or is the, is the level is the level the same? Or the, so it's individual by, based. The line is set based on per capita income. And each individual would report, apply and report his or her income and be decided whether you qualify, how much you can get. Usually children and older adults can get the full amount. Um, you get topped up to a right. the local set line. Right. And the person who has a child is rewarded or not? I mean, do you, can you get more if you have a child? So the child would apply. The child would be an applicant. You, you, so it's not because you have a child, you get more. The child has to be the applicant. What do you say, I'm unemployed, my wife works full time, and mm -hmm. she earns mm -hmm. income, can I still apply? Mm, you can, but they count the family income. Oh, they count. Yeah. yeah. So I think in the public display, when they showed how much each person gets, and how much each person is entitled to receive. Yeah. So often they would list household size, how many people live in this household, how many people applied, how many people qualified. So who are these um, people beneficiaries who are struggling with all kinds of barriers to move from welfare to work? Uh, in the book, I divided them into individual level, household level, community level, policy level. But individual level poor health is a common challenge to both the recipients themselves and also family members. Um, community level lack of resources, child care, senior um, care services. And then policy level, there are some interesting local policies. Uh, for example, some say um, you, you cannot set up a vendor you cannot set up a small business because that will make the street look untidy, uh, disrupt the local uh, economic um, order. So there are those measures. But there are others. So one controversial one, I think the government in general is struggling with this, is the tied eligibility. So if you qualify for DBAO, if you apply and qualify, that opens door for you to get other benefits, such as education assistance if you have a child, such as medical assistance if you have healthcare needs. But if you don't qualify for DBAO, you are automatically removed from access to those benefits, which is a big problem. So many DBAO recipients in interviews say they don't want to be reliant on DBAO. They don't sometimes need DBAO, but they are afraid of leaving DBAO because otherwise they wouldn't be able to get the education support or housing support, etc. So that is a policy design issue. And similar to many other countries, I think in the U.S. we have that problem, right? For policy makers and implementers, it's easy if there's a clear, simple guideline, but in reality, it complicates things and may not be the optimal choice. So here's one quote uh, from um, one DBAO recipient. She's uh, laid off, 45-year-old, who had to stay home all the time to take care of her 22-year-old son who has a mental illness. She said, I cannot leave my son. He can't do anything. 
I have to feed him three meals a day. If he were to boil some hot water, I fear he'd get scalded. He's completely without intelligence. If he sees something, he'll want to go play. Like with those electrical plugs, I don't dare to get away. Something terrible could happen to other people. So she could potentially get a job herself, but she cannot leave her son. So her family care responsibility um, makes her a Dibao recipient. How about uh, um, family consumption? How do these families use this money? Uh, here is some good news. The Dibao recipients actually use the money to invest or spend on human capital, which means education and healthcare. So um, they actually are very clear about their situation. Another quote here, Mr. Lee, Miss Lee, 43-year-old, who has multiple illnesses, disease, oh says, the main expenses are medicine. Every month, I have to spend over 100 yuan, nearly 200 on medicine. My daughter and I, our monthly income is 690 yuan dibao money. So we have about 500 left after paying for the medicine. Everything else costs money. So here it's clear they need to spend on healthcare, and that's how they use the money. Um, another quote, you see it's almost September 1st, but honestly I barely have money for food. I don't know where my next meal is from. I get help from this person, that person. When the semester starts, I have to pay over 3,000 yuan, uh, 2,200 for tuition and the rest fees for textbooks and others. How can I pull together that much money? This is a father who was 44 year old, whose son is going to a vocational school. So it's not compulsory education. And uh, the research shows that people who have kids going into compulsory education, elementary school, middle school, they are relatively okay. It's the high school, vocational school, college, uh, going kids where they need a lot of money and Dibao doesn't pay for that. Um, what about their social lives? Um, many of the Dibao recipients feel isolated and do not have a very fulfilled life. So here I did some quantitative work using a recent National Household Survey, the China Family Panel Studies uh, done by Beida to study how people spend their time. Uh, and this is to look at the association between Dibao receipt and time use patterns. For both urban and rural areas, we see that on both workdays, the darker portion and the non-work days, there's a reduction associated with Dibao receipt on leisure and social activities. That's the sum of all the time they spend on leisure and social activities. In the subsequent bars, I show different kinds of activities. So recreational activities using the internet, exercising for urban areas, it's a big reduction because you have to go to the neighborhood um, to participate in exercising, which could be showing to show that you're enjoying life and people may not appreciate that. Um, Same thing with leisure and social activity. Right, so all of these. Um, these are not 
strictly causal, right? We didn't put them into experiment and say whether you increase or decrease, but these are associations very robustly observed. And these are uh, consistent with the, with the qualitative findings. So here's uh, Mr. Wang, 60-year-old, Nibao recipient. Me still having social activities, still hanging out with friends? No. If someone comes to visit, then we figure something out at home, which means they would try to cook something, prepare some food, uh, pleasantries. Basically, I have no social activities these days. The other, only 34-year-old, uh, Mr. Kong, life to me now is relatively bleak. I'm a little scared. I can only manage day by day. And then the last interviewee, 46-year-old, um, Mr. Wang, we are afraid of other kids laughing at him, their son. Kids nowadays compare with each other. We are afraid that he might have psychological burden. So, uh, so you can see those social influences, not only on the adults, but also on children who, in the school, if they are labeled as a DBAO recipient, will be no public knowledge to their peers and teachers as well. So um, I evaluated all these different outcomes uh, related with DBAO receipt. And it's Professor Wang Feng of UC Irvine who, in his review of my book, said these are sobering. I didn't think of that. But I think it's, it's true that DBAO is a major undertaking, a lot of money spent on this program, but these are not all encouraging news, right? Some positive outcomes, but many challenges uh, remain. So what can be done? Um, I think we need to make the benefits more generous. DBAO by design is meant to be the lowest of all the benefits. It has to be kept lower than the unemployment insurance. It has to be lower than minimum wage. has to be lower than uh, a life subsidy to uh, those who have no jobs. So it's it's the minimum of all kinds of government support. And we have to rethink whether that's enough. Um, then um, in terms of coverage, it's puzzling. In the recent years, it's been narrowed to 2%, 8%, 2% in urban areas, 8% in rural areas. The government at the same time is trying to promote anti-poverty efforts, but to limit the role of DBAO. But I think we have to rethink whether DBAO is achieving its intended goals and whether narrowing the population coverage is the right way to go. Then a lot of work needs to be done in providing stronger work support. Uh, this is a challenge I think the government is aware of, but they also need to learn how to coordinate the efforts because DBAO is done by the Minjinbu, uh, Ministry of Civil Affairs. Right. However, work support uh, efforts are not under the charge of, of civil affairs. So how to work effectively, both uh, horizontally with other government departments, but also vertically, would be a challenge. Uh, we also have to recognize the multidimensional needs people face, right? It's not just survival, but education, health, fulfillment, social needs. Um, and I think we need to have a focus on children. Maybe to separate children somehow from this overall poverty discussion because 
a lot of these children will grow up to be poor. And if we don't think about how to make their life opportunities better, um, this pattern will repeat. I mean, it's a challenge here in the U.S., in every other country, but uh, in relation to Dibao, it's, it's an important topic. And lastly, I teach in a school of social work. Many of our students, quite many are here today, are going to become social workers. Here in the U.S., social workers are very effective case managers. They know of all the available resources, and they connect families in need to these available resources. How to mobilize that in China and make social work, social services to play the role that they can play will be important, right? Not only social assistance, but social services and social work. There are many proposals to address poverty. One proposal is to just give money to the poor. If they need it, there must be a reason. And cash is the most effective way. Another approach, what do the poor need? Try asking them. If they need education, offer them education support. If they need housing, offer them housing support, right? So these are amazing proposals. But whether they are politically and physically possible, uh, it will be an interesting debate. Lastly, I want to show you this. Um, when I wrote the book, <laughs> Bao, uh, it's the primary social assistance program. Since then, President Xi Jinping has launched a grand anti-poverty campaign. It's called Targeted Anti-Poverty Project or Campaign, Jinping. And the goal is to eliminate poverty in China by 2020, which is it's not far <laughs> from today. So whether that can be achieved and how would that work together with the existing social assistance system yeah. would be uh, interesting and an important project. So I will end here and uh, welcome your comments and feedback. Offer some uh, questions, comments? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree uh, with, with uh, Feng Wang. It's sobering. Um, especially, I mean, I think I could tell others also reacting um, when you describe the stigmatization of the public display. Um, and I think uh, also this notion of that you have to be invisible. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very um, problematic, I think. It shows us that, you know, when you say, uh, you know, X million people have been brought out of poverty, whether through this program or others, that it, that it comes with some downsides and so as you were saying there at the end how do you how do you manage it if you have a campaign to eliminate poverty well if, if, if it means that you're you can't go outside <laughs> even though you're out of poverty it just seems very um, uh, you know, problematic and, and uh, it shows you that you know it's not all about cash and your income mm -hmm. uh, your, your life and your assessment of your life is much more than just than you know a payment that raises you a little bit above uh, a poverty line. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the importance of the fact that this is a Ministry of Civil Affairs mm -hmm. bureaucracy program and not the, the, the bureaucracy I'm much more familiar with, right. the Ministry of Labor and Social Security, yes. which just has, uh, you know, the whole social insurance yes. plus the labor enforcement and all yeah. of that. Um, and I know there was some back and forth and in 
in variable competition, yeah. and they were designing this program of who would get it. But um, would, you know, would it be better for this to be handled with the Social Security people who are also handling unemployment insurance and pensions, and, and you know, who have far more uh, mm -hmm. resources as, mm -hmm. as a bureaucracy yeah. than, than Ministry of Civil Affairs? So that's sort of a China policy making or China yeah. uh, policy implications uh, question. Yeah. Um, and then I guess a bigger picture comment is, so a lot of these developing countries these days, mm -hmm. uh, the ones such as Brazil, South Africa, yeah. India, they have impressive GDP growth rates, at least maybe you know, over, if you go over several decades. Yeah. And many of them are introducing these conditional cash yeah. transfers. Mm -hmm. So the one in Brazil that a lot of people are familiar with, Bolsa yeah. Familia, mm -hmm. you, you bring your children in, you, you promise to do inoculations and mm -hmm. make sure they're going to school and you get a, 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 yeah. a payment like that. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, it raises the question for me uh, that, you know, is, is that also a stigmatizing mm -hmm. process of public display? Mm -hmm. Does it make the kids, uh, you know, stand out in, among mm -hmm. their peers as, as you know, the beneficiaries of, of the, the yeah. anti-poverty program. Um, but so, so there's that question about where this fits among other yeah. CCT conditional cash transfer programs in the developing world, in the uneven developing world. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, also, is this, um, you know, is this DBAL, uh, is it, is it, it sounds to me like it has a great deal of, it's a CCT with a great deal of, Chi uh, Chinese characteristics, mm -hmm. both from the legacy of, of the socialism of the Iron Rice yeah. Bowl, because many of the initial recipients were laid off workers from state-owned enterprises, um, and then maybe some other things about uh, you know just that community knows every the, the, yeah. the sort of the ways that communities, yes. urban communities, will operate. Um, so you know, is this a distinct program that emerging out of China's economic mm -hmm. transition? And if it is, um, I asked this question at a panel a couple of years ago, w is it possible to imagine DBAL going away because everyone is a above a minimum poverty set by government officials, especially if they're being told it's to eliminate be poverty. I know how I'm going to do it. In my district, I'm going to lower the, the lower the line so everybody's above it yeah. in the story. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, you know, with, with, with uh, Disabled populations and others of the, uh, that that that, uh, that have uh, eligibility for DBAL, mm -hmm. you can see that continue. You can, yeah. you can always know, imagine that there'll be uh, a small percentage of the population mm -hmm. that is unemployed and maybe without family, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, for whatever reason. But by and large, that that number of urban going from yeah. now it's down to what 15 million, yeah. you know, would, would, it, would, it, yeah, would it disappear? Yeah. So those are just some initial thoughts, and mm -hmm. you don't have to answer all those, but I, I yeah, no, um, questions. totally fascinating. It, it, I'm very curious to see what will happen, because I'm mm -hmm. doing a new project on Jin Jun Fuping, the targeted anti-poverty campaign. I mean, right now, it's almost like a political movement. Yeah. Everybody, uh, hmm. in one way or another, is involved in this. So there are different approaches. Some are moved entire villages are moved to more uh, prosperous areas so that the entire village can be uh, lifted above poverty. There's also new investments in energy uh, industry, um, which is forward-looking, but also as an effort to uh, eliminate poverty. So 
it's a totally different anti-poverty approach. At the same time, we see that Bibao is playing a smaller and smaller role in supporting the poor. So by 2020, if poverty is following this agenda and uh, eliminated, where will Dibao be, right? There will be a need. But uh, would, that, would that fit the narrative? So it will be uh, interesting um, Migrant workers, are, are, if, if they're excluded now, but would they be eligible uh, if they're workers? Some localities, employed, some localities yeah. are incom incorporating them into uh, okay. the Dibao system, but that's Most of those are the rich localities. Yeah. Many cannot afford to support migrants. Yeah, and migrants, uh, only the long-term migrants can get it, right? They're mm -hmm. short-term migrants who you're not contributing to my <laughs> uh, local economy. Why do I need to support your only, only building buildings? And right. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, and it's very, very yeah. contentious. Um, but I think your comment about the CCTs, conditional cash transfers, mm -hmm. is a great one. For unknown reasons, this puzzles me why the conditional cash transfers, which is uh, not so much stigmatized, because the conditions are usually school attendance and uh, health care. So all very positive in almost every culture and focuses on children. So it, it's a great approach. I don't know why it didn't take root in China. Um, probably too much experimentation is involved, which could subject the, the experimentation to some scrutiny uh, or judgment. I actually don't know, but I'm hoping some local governments would uh, like to try it out and see whether it works or not. Uh, your first comment about coordination among these different, often <laughs> fragmented departments within the government would right. be so important. I really um, lobby, advocate for that in my book because I mean, many of these families not only need the social assistance or social insurance, labor support, they also need Department of Health, Healthcare, Ministry yeah. of Health, Ministry of uh, Education to come together to address these needs, which for them is a coherent mm -hmm. kind of life, livelihood need. So how do we address that? Uh, I, I don't have a good solution, but I think it needs to be talked about and uh, mm -hmm. become uh, awareness. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Margo. <laughs> um, I'm Margo Landman with the National Committee. It's more a comment than a question. We all kind of gasped at the quotation of the person who said, or when you said, I won't take Dibal because I don't want my child to be humiliated. We have free breakfast in this city for children who qualify. The kids won't eat it. Because free breakfast if they is for everyone, go, Well, now it is, yeah. but oh, it wasn't. Okay. It used to be only for people mm -hmm. whose families were below mm -hmm. a certain income. The kids wouldn't eat it. They'd go hungry because they were too embarrassed to be seen yeah. as needing this assistance. Yeah. So only recently has it been made universal. Mm -hmm. So yeah. now all the kids can have breakfast. Nobody's embarrassed. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, Whatever challenge regarding welfare poverty. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. 
Um, hi, uh, Dr. Zhang. I have two questions, actually. One, um, you Can you focus tell us who you are? Oh, yes. Um, this is Yang Allen. I'm a PhD student from the New School for Social Research um, Politics Department. Um, so I have two questions in terms of the, the project. So who pays for the DBAO, actually? So it's a policy from the central government, and then the local ones in initiated, like war initiates those policies. But still, where the money is from? So that's one question. Mm -hmm. The second one is, um, I think we probably focused on the governmental side too much. And there's definitely a lot of, so the middle class in China is enlarging. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of like a, a philanthropical um, activists yeah. in China. And how could those people get involved? Mm -hmm. And social workers, of course, they, they could help the society. But at the same time, they're just too like a weak, I guess. So mm -hmm. for those, um, um, yeah, rich people or the rich um, communities, maybe they could take take um, some responsibilities of the the helping uh, like war fighting with uh, poverty yeah. in China. Yeah, very very good questions. In terms of money, uh, the local governments are responsible for paying for this program. Um, if the local governments have the financial capacity, they pay for the entire budget. If they lack the capacity, the central government would transfer funds. To pay for DBAO. And in recent years, actually, the central government takes uh, pays for a lot more than the local governments. Uh, but the transfer is unbalanced. The West region provinces get a lot of transfers. Mm -hmm. um, the central region actually suffers a bit because they are not considered too poor, uh, but they don't get enough transfers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the financing aspect. Um, in terms of um, the middle class growing in China, I agree with you. Um, I mean, the civil society will grow, philanthropy will play a much larger role in supporting those who have needs. Um, that will also depend on where these philanthropists uh, want to invest their money, right? Education and healthcare are two very attractive areas. Um, in terms of the broad middle class, it will be interesting. I think if we look at the U.S., uh, right, welfare is still a very contentious topic. Uh, who is deserving of the support? Um, whether we should demand you to do something in exchange for these benefits. Whether we should give you cash or food stamps uh, or something else, right? Those are difficult questions, and not all middle-class people are for welfare support. So it will be very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just wondering, oh, uh, Liu Suda from you know, Toronto. I, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about the policy-making process mm -hmm. uh, for these policies. of uh, Because, I mean, you mentioned the Ministry of Civil Affairs plays a dominant role, but also uh, education, health, other ministries are involved. For, so for example, when they decide to expand the DBAO from the urban areas to the rural area, which is a huge move. Yeah. So which actors were involved and what are the stakes and uh, are there any resistance you know, mm. in the process? Yeah. So interestingly, rural DBAO was experimented before the urban DBAO. In some localities, one of the first ones was Shanxi, my hometown province. Um, but because rural DBAO is very hard to implement, right, to gauge people's income, to have the local governments uh, committing a budget. So rural DBAO happened very slowly and really didn't uh, gain speed until much later. 
Um, I think the civil affairs ministry department always played a major role, uh, but in the broad backdrop, there's always uh, the function of maintaining social order. So because of that, the central government, the state council, is very supportive of this program. Um, there were times uh, in the history of Dibao's development, uh, there were possible concerns about mm -hmm. threats to social stability, political stability, and those became the factors that lead to the expansion uh, of this program, um, oftentimes from the central government. Yeah. And then the local governments would follow these broad regulations and then they have to decide what would be the standard, how to implement the screening process. So those are localized. Thank you. Uh, the first here, and then, I'm sorry, I can't see the name cards, but yes, you, Bing? and then, and then Lili. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Bing. I'm a social worker working at a University of Solomon in, in Lower East Side. So I'm curious about uh, the children, like the effects on children, because um, DBAO started from 1993, and then it's nationally 1999. Mm -hmm. Now the, the then babies wow. are young adults right now. Yes. Um, so we always talk about like poverty as a cycle, it's hard to break it, it's important to break it using like a welfare system. Yes. Uh, so I'm just curious whether there's any research done to see whether if first generation hasn't moved out of the poverty mm. status, whether the second generation was able to. That's fascinating. That would be my next project. <laughs> One thing I learned studying and now teaching in the U.S. is there are just a lot more data collection efforts uh, that are long-term or what we call longitudinal studies. Uh, in the book, I propose China should do that. Without the tracking of these families, we cannot find them. It's very hard. Right now, I'm involved in a project that focuses on children and adolescents in these Dibao families. Mm. So we plan to uh, study them now, but also follow them over time to see how they uh, progress over time. But uh, your, your suggestion is wonderful, to find some people who are now young adults who received or were exposed to Dibao when they were children and adolescents. What happened? That's wonderful. Yeah, Thank I'm you. Thank you for your wonderful introduction. My name is Lili. I'm a this year Humphrey Fellow. It's a, a middle career Fulbright Fellow, and I work with committee right now. So for my personal experience, my grandma got uh, Dibao, mm -hmm. and she even we like family support her, but she feel very happy when she heard it's increased maybe ten dollars mm -hmm. per year, and she feel like that's the thing I deserve from the country. When I was young, I contribute. Now I have this. So I have two questions. First is about the budget. Do you do we know the the annual budget of how much our government invest on this? And uh, how, how, like the percentage of the whole uh, garments. And the second one is about the, the fraud. If I'm not the target and mm -hmm. I, I cheated, is there any punishment uh, about this or like penalty or is you like a. a you mean you own a pet? <laughs> <laughs> She's or, got a cell phone. <laughs> or like the. I don't know because I'm uh, have Guanxi. I have the connection with yes, Chunzhang, yeah. which yeah. Uh, yeah. then I got this. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So you raised some very good points, which I didn't get to cover in my talk. Uh, so among the Dibao recipients, 
they're the more deserving ones and the less deserving ones, right? <laughs> Typically, people think older people who really contributed to, to the country when they were young uh, deserve it. And now they are not supposed to work in the labor market. And children are also often considered deserving. It's the uh, working age adults who could work. Um, people think they shouldn't be getting DBAO. Of course, not always getting the full picture of mm -hmm. their family care responsibilities. One person I quoted in the book, she has gynecological disease, and she says, people look at me, they think I have no issue. They, don't, they cannot see my disease mm -hmm. from my appearance. So that's a challenge. You have to expose that personal information so that people know you truly deserve the benefit. Mm -hmm. So, so among the DBAO recipients, there's the differentiated treatment. Um, the budget, um, the central government has overall budget. The local governments also have their budgets. I tried to get the information about exactly how they do the budget. They wouldn't uh, tell me. I had to uh, try to mm -hmm. understand it, but uh, it's a low budget. Right now, about 0.2% of the GDP okay. is spent on DBAO. It's, it's the minimum livelihood guarantee. It's kept minimum. So it's, I mean, social assistance is never meant to be big in a country, but in yeah. the Chinese case, it's, it's small, it's tiny. Um, in terms of fraud, there are many. So it's not a pure uh, good program. There's which means I have guanxi, I have social connections, then I may not really need it, but I can get it. Uh, there's lobao, uh, which means leakage and mistargeting. So there are frauds, and uh, many local government officials got penalized uh, for making those frauds. So it's an issue. But that also brought people's attention to further judge uh, this program and say DBAO isn't uh, purely, uh, entirely justified. There are so many frauds in it. So that partly contributed to the narrowing of the coverage and decreasing in, in its um, uh, emphasis, I think, in recent years. Thank you. Sarah? Um, can you talk about what um, was DBAO modeled on or what was, did the government compare other countries' systems of social assistance in developing mm. DBAO? Um, at the beginning, I mean, in the early 1990s, the Chinese government really tried to learn from other countries, um, I think, more from Europe than, mm -hmm. than um, the US, uh, also some other Asian countries um, as well, Japan, Korea, uh, Singapore. So uh, the broad model is there, but DBAO is a very typical welfare program, so it's not uh, an innovation. Yeah. Um, you're poor, here's a standard, then you try, we try to help you to meet this standard. So it's, it's not so much of an innovation, um, but really it's the local governments, the first several mm -hmm. cities who tried it and worked out how it could work. Could oh. Could be implemented. Yeah. Jeff? Jeff with the National Committee. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Xi Jinping's new program mm -hmm. and what the differences are between that and the, his new one and the DBAO? And is there an idea that eventually the two will be melded together? 
uh, excellent question. So the two are different because Tianjin uh, Fuping, the targeted anti-poverty campaign, focuses on rural poverty only. Mm. And uh, um, so the goal is to use every possible means to eradicate poverty, rural poverty, by 2020. Because according to the official account, urban poverty is already eliminated. So rural poverty is the focus uh, in, in this new campaign. And there are different approaches. Uh, one interesting approach they use is to pair these poor villages, households, with those companies or universities or governments or rich places so that these other entities could help solve the poverty issue. So for example, some officials from rich cities are sent to these poor villages, localities. They bring resources, money, personnel, technology, and then help lift the local place out of poverty. There's also heavy investment, usually related to energy. Sometimes um, there are other interesting um, um, business models like uh, plants. So this area, we decide that it's suitable for growing grapes or flowers for sale. Then they promote such um, project. So it's very much central, top-down. Um, and which ministry is responsible? Um, the, the central, the, let's say, the state council. So every, every ministry is involved in this. There's a Fuping Ban. Yeah, so there's an anti-poverty office that's coordinating. Poverty alleviation yeah. Committee? yeah, coordinating, and every ministry participates in this effort. And uh, it's similar to Dibao, where everybody is targeted. Uh, everybody who is targeted is known. There's a roster. So the first step is to uh, is to do targeted identification of the poor. So every person in this village who is poor is put into this roster, and uh, we will make sure you escape poverty by 2020. <laughs> so through <laughs> this means or that means. So it's very much a political um, campaign. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you should all read this, The Last Toughest Mile, China's New Approach to Beating Poverty. And that really shows what are done and why it's so difficult. Um, Larry Bridwell, and I teach international business at uh, Pace University. Um, could you comment on the fact that urban poverty no longer exists according to the government? Um, it's hard for me. As a poverty scholar, right, I understand not, I understand poverty not as an abstract issue. Poverty can be understood from, from many lens, income, assets, consumption, um, deprivation, right? Whether you have electricity, flushing toilet, uh, microwave, cell phone. There's also social capabilities, right? There's another poverty research 
social capabilities, social involvement, fulfillment. So for me, poverty is, is dynamic and is also elusive. For me to say, here's poverty, we are going to take it away, is impossible. And many countries, developed countries, uh, mostly Europe, uh, the US is behind <laughs> in this re regard, uses, use a relative poverty line. That is, poverty is not according to this one line. If the overall income distribution or wealth distribution in the society changes, we adjust where we define poverty, right? So if that's the case, poverty will always be with us, and I believe in that. Um, so even according to the official narrative, 2%, 2.5% of urban residents still need the debau to survive, and you cannot say they are not poor. And then there's also the huge migrants population many of whom are also struggling with their livelihood. So I think, um, yeah, I, that's my take. That's the, the, basis, issue. the basis on which the government well, right. aims to eliminate urban poverty is that right. the absolute poverty line, right. everyone's yeah. So the yeah. national, right. which is including yeah. the rural and the average. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, in terms of international business, there's mm -hmm. a huge emphasis, um, Bill Gates, Melinda right. Gates said in 2015 that absolute poverty will be eliminated from most of the world by 2030. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the, the emphasis is on absolute poverty. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the other uh, definition. Do you have electricity? Do you have indoor yeah. plumbing? Do you have access to yeah. medical care, uh, education? Yeah. Um, Material depri deprivation yeah. is often the term. And, and, and my business... MBA students mm -hmm. from China tell me mm -hmm. that they're going to eliminate by 2020. And yes. of course, you know, I, I have a lot of things to cover in class, so I don't go into mm -hmm. some, some details. But what, what occurs to me is how. Right. And how is it going to be measured? Yeah. 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 And I mean, in this day of age, what do you consider to be poor or not, right? Is a cell phone necessary? Uh, what kind of education this child would need? to be not deprived, to have a fair chance. Um, so those are tough questions. And we, every one of us, has values involved when we talk about these issues, right? As in, in this country, uh, and it's part of the political debate about what we do, right? In terms of social security, uh, welfare, um, food stamps, school lunch, breakfast. So they are going to be there. And I think it takes not only the kind of analysis we do, but also a reflection of our value system to, to understand those issues, and then bring that into the political debate. Do we have the resources to solve poverty, and do we ha have the political will to do that?
There are many sources of inequality uh, and many sources of poverty, and um, yeah, you're, you're the, the higher income countries use their tax code to subsidize or help or you know help favored groups and sometimes help, help lower income groups. I think I was looking at my phone so much. New York Times last night for various yes. reasons, but there's a great New York Times <laughs> magazine article, I think it will appear this yes. Sunday, on America's number one cause of uh, income inequality, and it's the housing Good. subsidy for uh, interest rate. You, you deduct so much taxes when you have an interest yeah. for your interest rate uh, yeah. on your mortgage, yeah. and it's just a terrible program yeah. that, that, that skews inequality. Towards the t subsidies towards the the middle class and, and mm -hmm. taxes away from the, the lower income groups the upper yeah. middle yeah. upper middle yeah I mean I so. would just uh, comment on your your thought your observation that the lowest income group often transfer out quite a bit in China and I also observed the same thing I mean often these people yeah. receive yes mm -hmm. their income moves yes to because. Uh, so my neighbor has a funeral or a wedding, and that's a substantial amount, and I cannot afford not to give that because I live in this neighborhood. Our mm. social relations, the cohesion, the harmony is so important. And that, I mean, I've lived in this country for 
16 years, uh, sometimes it still shocks me when I talk to my parents who say to me, we give this much to this family, this friend for, oh, in my hometown area. If a child celebrates the 12th year birthday, it's a big deal and uh, you have to give a few hundred dollars. And uh, for people like my parents who are not poor, but they are not earning a lot of money, they are retired. <coughs> uh, that adds up. And we didn't know this. Uh, my, me, my siblings and I all live away from home, but my parents still give on our behalf. So at some point we realized we need to, we need to calculate that and give that. We owe them so much, we didn't know. Now. I know. And I mean, for the poor people, they don't live in vacuum. They, they have to, that's big. And that's how they belong. And probably more important for them, that they are already singled out for receiving the welfare benefit that they need to be part of the community participating. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm going to keep that last comment away from my 11-year-old son. <laughs> 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 so we give a, a big hand now. So. <laughs>